Father, we pray you will open our hearts and minds to hear with our spiritual ears what your Holy Spirit is saying to us today. We ask that you will give us clear understanding, enable us to accept your teaching, rebuking, correcting, because everything in your word was written by men filled with your Holy Spirit. God breathed and was given for our training in righteousness. In Jesus' precious name, amen. You may be seated. I invite Chris to come and give us our Bible reading, which is 1 Corinthians 14, verses 1 to 25, after which Duncan will come and preach our sermon. Thank you. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and speak in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or harp, how will anyone know what tune is being played unless there is a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you are saying? You will just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If, then, I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I am a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason... The one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So, what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with my spirit but I will also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, 
when you are praising God in the Spirit, how can someone else, who is now put in the position of an inquirer, say, Amen, to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law, it is written, With other tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, but even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues, then, are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Well, good morning, friends. Uh, there's a, a lot in that passage, isn't there? Uh, we won't get to all of it. Uh, I'll try and cover the big picture. Um, but please do keep talking about these things afterwards and you can follow up with, the, with me uh, afterwards, if you'd like, on anything. Let me pray as before we dive in. Our gracious God, please, by your Spirit, cut through all of those things that hinder, break through our pride, our self-centeredness. Our Father, humble us so that we might receive your grace. Please, our Father, make our church one that pursues love, that depends on you in all things and seeks your enabling. Please create us, make us to be the community that you want us to be, the church that you want us to be. That can only come from you, Father. So we pray that you might do that even now as we look at your word together. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, we are in this section of 1 Corinthians, and uh, as has been mentioned, it's all about the church. It's all about church. And the question we're going to start with today is, why do you church? It doesn't sound quite right, but go with it. Why do you church? Um, why would you prioritise this time week after week? Uh, why would you say no to other good things like sport or coffee with friends or fishing so that you can commit to being here week by week each Sunday? 
Why would you come even when it's hard? Uh, even when you're tired? Even when church isn't what you hope it would be? Why do you church? Well, there's lots of possible answers to that, I think. Uh, one might come to mind that it's because you get community here. And that's true. Um, I love the community here. But if that's the main reason you gather, you could get community at any number of other places, right? You, know, you can get community at uh, any other kind of uh, number of community groups. Maybe it's the singing, love singing together. But you could join a choir, right? Or you could just sing in the shower. <laughs> um, maybe for you it's the teaching but again, you could get teaching in any number of ways, right? You can get good teaching, you can go read a good book, you can listen to a podcast. Uh, not only that, we now live stream our services. So you could get teaching uh, without leaving the comfort of your own home. Now, we happily live stream. We happily live stream to bless those who are unable to gather because of illness or other difficult circumstance. And we're so glad that you're able to join us today. But if, if you wanted, you could construct your perfect Sunday morning experience for yourself from the comfort of your own couch. Uh, you could find your favourite preacher on YouTube uh, talking about your favourite topic. You could listen to your favourite songs. Uh, if you're feeling generous, you could donate to your favourite charity, all with your PJs and Uggies on. And as an added bonus, right, you could use the pause or the skip button anytime you wanted. You could even listen to the sermon at 1.5 speed. I mean, how good would that be? But here's the question. Would that be church? Would you be churching? Uh, the word church in the New Testament is it, just a word that means gathering. So it's not a typo in your outline. By why do you church, I just mean why do you gather as God's people? What is it about church that means gathering together is so vital, so important? Well, there's lots that we could say about this. The Bible you know, speaks lots of things. But in this passage, today's passage is going to go a long way to help us answer that question. And it's all to do with bodybuilding. Now, you probably don't think of yourself as a bodybuilder. Some of us here might. I there's a few gym junkies out there, I know. Uh, but most of us probably don't think of ourselves as bodybuilders. But when it comes to the church, if you are a Christian, you are. You're a bodybuilder. Uh, it's a bit of a mishmash of metaphors going on. But we, we've seen this image of the body, right, back in chapter 12, this powerful image of the church as the body of Christ. But the idea of building comes to the front and centre in this chapter. It comes up again and again through this passage. It's blurred a little bit in our English translations. Uh, there's different words that get, get used in English, but they all have the same original word behind them. Uh, so verse 3 talks about strengthening. Verse 4 talks about edifying, um, making an edifice to do with building. Edify comes up again in verse 5 and in verse 17. Uh, verse 12 and in verse 26, we'll look at next week, talk about building up building up. It, and that's all the same word. It's kind of repeated again and again through this passage, talking about the same thing. And it's the main point Paul wants to get across to this church in Corinth, to these Corinthian Christians. It's the main point he wants them and us to get. So for the Apostle Paul, the one 
I mean, there is more to say than this, but one key answer to the question, why do you church, is you gather together so that you can be a bodybuilder, so that you can build up the body of Christ. Um, you notice all those reasons that we started with? They're all about what you get from coming here. But Paul wants to reframe our thinking so the main thing in our minds as we gather is what can I give? How can I edify? How can I strengthen? How can I build up Christ's body here? Now, if you've been with us through this series, you'll know the Corinthians are a really divided, dysfunctional bunch of Christians. Um, they were more shaped by the kind of self-seeking pride of Corinth, the city around them, than they were by the self-giving humility of Christ. Uh, and they were, they were babies. Uh, Paul's used that language already. Uh, this was ages ago, but way back in chapter 3, he says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, as mere infants in Christ. And then did you notice that in today's passage, in verse 20, he urges them to grow up, to stop thinking like children, to be adults in their thinking. And that would have been so difficult for the Corinthians to hear, right? Um, they thought they were wise and strong and spiritual. Uh, and you kind of get the impression that they actually looked down on other Christians. God had given them spectacular gifts. But Paul points out that, that they were using those gifts in childish and destructive ways. Uh, what a tragedy, right, to use the gifts of Christ to destroy the body of Christ. Uh, and so the big thing Paul wants them to take away from this whole section, this whole, all of these chapters actually, is what we looked at last week. The most excellent way of love. Um, I've been wondering, preparing for today, I've been sort of wondering why, why Paul writes this chapter at all, chapter 14. So if, you, if you've been with us along the way, you know, chapter 12 is just this rich theology of, um, of gifts, of charismata and of the body of Christ. And then last week, chapter 13, this incredible hymn to love. Why does Paul, what, what more does Paul need to say on this issue? Like, I, I've been sort of wrestling with that question. Why does, he, why does he write this? And I think the answer is because love isn't just a nice idea, right? It's not just a nice idea. It lands in real time, in real situations with real people. Love makes a tangible kind of on-the-ground difference in real communities, uh, and so I think what Paul is doing in this chapter, he is applying this most excellent way of love to this particular problem that's going on in Corinth, this particular issue. Uh, now, we don't have the same issues in our church, so it's going to take a little bit of work to, to think about how that, the same principles apply to us, but there are principles here that are vital for us to hear. So let's think about the Corinthians, though. How can they move from being body destroyers to body builders? Well, Paul starts this section so wonderfully, doesn't he? Follow the way of love. Follow the way of love. Uh, that word follow there is actually a really strong one. It's the same word that gets used to persecute someone. 
So the idea is relentlessly pursue, um, doggedly track them down. So as you gather, as you walk into church, Paul says, be on the hunt for love. Sniff out opportunities to be kind. Pursue patience and grace with one another. Run after love, Paul says. But that is not something that we can do on our own, is it? It's not something we can do in our own strength. Being a bodybuilder isn't something that we have the capacity to do. We need God's enabling. We need his spirit to enable us to do this. We can't do it on our own. And so Paul urges the Corinthians as they track love down, as they pursue it, as they doggedly go after love in their community, he also urges them to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So if you were with us a few weeks ago, you'll know that God gives a beautiful diversity of gifts to his church, uh, that he distributes just as he determines For the purpose, remember this from a few weeks back, for the common good, for the common good. But but what Paul does in this chapter is he zeroes in, he focuses in on just two of those gifts, on tongues and prophecy. Um, One of the good gifts that God had given the Corinthian church was this gift of tongues. And we'll get to what what that is, we'll get to in a second. Um, But it seems like what was going on in the Corinthian church is they'd elevated that gift above all the others. And, and Paul's basic application of love, following the way of love for them, was to say, stop focusing on that one gift, on tongues. And then he, he redirects them. He says, focus instead on this other way, this other gift, on prophecy. So uh, uh, that's the kind of basic instruction Paul gives, but what are they? What are we talking about? Uh, it is a little bit hard to know. <laughs> uh, it is a little bit difficult to actually nail down a really clear, laser-sharp definition of what these are, I think. Um, and, but it is something that Christians have come to different opinions on. At times, discussions around this can get a bit heated. Uh, and it's something that I know in our church there's a, a, a wide range of experiences on and thoughts about. Uh, I think that's actually a blessing. One of the blessings of our church is that God has gathered a diverse range of people centred around the gospel... Um, but with a wide range of backgrounds when it comes to these issues. So what we need to do together is to keep coming back to the Word, to humbly submit ourselves to it, and try to understand what it's actually teaching, uh, and try not to read our own assumptions or experiences into it. So what can we know about these two gifts that Paul is focusing in on? Oh, by the way, I, I don't think it's... Um, uh, when I said, uh, we, we, I don't think we can have absolute certainty what these are. I don't think that's actually a, a major problem uh, because it's not the main point of this passage, which is about building up. But it is important to talk about. So what, do, what, do we, what can we know? Uh, Paul never defines these gifts. That's one of the issues. He just assumes that the Corinthians know what they are because they're going on in their church. Um, so there are challenges, which mean I think we need to hold our view with some humility and hesitation. Um, um, As I said, that's okay, 
because the main point isn't about the gifts themselves, but how they're being used. That's the big idea. So, but what can we tell? Tongues. Let's think about tongues first. Uh, so one view you may have heard about this gift of tongues is that it's simply someone who is good at languages, uh, someone who's just really good at picking up all different kinds of languages. Um, the word tongue just means language. That's how it gets, like that's its, um, what it means. Um, and there's something to this, right? So Paul doesn't seem to have the, dis- the division between miraculous and non-miraculous in his mind, supernatural and natural. That's not really a distinction that he seems to hold tightly to. He sees the Spirit at work in all things. Uh, so the, so uh, the gifts of the Spirit include both miraculous gifts of healings and administration. Uh, so the Spirit is just as active as our admin team works on a spreadsheet for church as when someone receives a miraculous healing. So, I, you know, there, there is something to this view, I think, but I don't actually think it holds up in the light of this passage. So look at verse 2. It says, Anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So this gift of tongues, it seems to be a Spirit-enabled ability to speak other languages that you haven't learned. So it's not just someone who's really good at learning languages. It seems to be a spirit-enabled ability to speak other languages that you haven't learned before. And that the speaker themselves doesn't really understand. Later in verse 13, Paul says that they should pray for the ability to interpret what they're saying. And that assumes that they don't know, like the speaker themselves. So it's not just being good with languages. This is speaking a language you don't understand, probably, and that you have never learned. Uh, And, I mean, you see an example of this in in Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, uh, when the Spirit is poured out and the apostles speak to a group of people from all different countries. And what happens? They, They all hear the message in their own language. So there's that from Acts 2. But it... It's, I'm trying to paint the picture of there, there are some difficulties here, right? So it, it does seem that what's in view here in Corinth, it does have some differences from that, what happened in Acts 2. Um, uh, it's a gift, you, you, you can see there, it's a gift used in prayer, people speaking to God. And in verse 4, it edifies the one speaking. It builds them up in some way. Okay, so it's this spirit-enabled ability to speak languages that you haven't ever learned. Gift of tongues. What are those languages? Uh, I, think, I think we can clearly say that it is other human languages. Uh, I think Acts 2 does show that, although there are some differences to what's going on here. Uh, but then last week we saw in chapter 13, Paul talks about the tongues of men and of angels. And so many have um, thought that this gift includes non-human and angelic languages of some kind. Uh, Paul says he has this gift. Uh, You might have noticed that. So what can we say about all of this? Uh, I think we can say that the kind of tongues in view here is praying in an unknown language given by the Spirit that builds up the prayer, but that others looking on don't understand. That's kind of 
maybe as specific as I think I can get from this passage. Praying in a, in a language that this, the prayer doesn't understand, given by the Spirit, but there's, that people looking on don't understand what they're saying, and probably the prayer themselves doesn't understand either. Uh, another question that gets asked. We're going to spend a bit of time here, I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm not sorry, um, but we will get to the rest of the passage. Um, Another question that gets asked is, was this a gift for the early church, but not for today? Again, uh, there's something to that, I think. Uh, Remember what's going on in Corinth. We have to read this in context. Uh, This is a baby church in the early years after Jesus. Uh, They may have had one or two smatterings of the apostles' writings, But they didn't have the Spirit's completed word written down for them in the New Testament. So you can see why God would use these gifts of tongues and prophecy to teach and guide his early church, to share the gospel with other peoples, in a way that's not needed once the apostles' Spirit-inspired teaching was written down and passed on in the New Testament. And on top of that, once you do get to the later, like the later written letters in the New Testament, letters like 1 and 2 Timothy, Titus, it does seem like things have settled down quite a bit from these very early days. Uh, that the churches had, had sort of grown from those turbulent early years. And it seems that in those, in those letters, those later letters, the focus really is much more on the long-term health of the church coming from the faithful and prayerful proclamation of the word. So, I think there's something to that argument, but I I don't quite agree with it, actually. (laughs) I think it does actually go beyond Scripture to say that these gifts, therefore, must have stopped once the New Testament was written. I, I think that's going beyond what we're told. I don't see any reason, actually, in the Bible why God wouldn't continue to give these gifts as he sovereignly, freely determines for the building up of his people, even though they, might, they may not have the same sort of vital function as they did in the very early years of the church. Um, okay, how are we going with all of this? I'm trying to just be as sort of balanced as I can about this and and hear from God's word and draw it all together for us. Uh, There are numbers in our church who have or who have had this gift. Um, I don't personally, um, but from my conversations with uh, numbers here and, and elsewhere, it seems to be a gift that is a particular blessing in times of deep distress or anxiety a gift God gives to strengthen your faith in Christ and perhaps to enable you to pour out your heart to him in prayer, in times when you can't do that otherwise. So Paul in here, he's not anti-tongues. We'll we'll see what he does say in a moment, but that's important to, to say. And maybe for your own upbuilding in a time of trial, uh, tongues is a gift you could ask God for. So that's, that's tongues. What about prophecy? Um, we, hear about, we hear the word prophecy and we think Nostradamus, kind of crystal balls, a slightly glazed look on the face, possibly elevated above the floor, 
um, foretelling all these great things in the future. That's, that's what we think of with prophecy. But in the Bible, prophecy is much bigger than that. Um, even in the Old Testament, it's only a really small percentage of the prophetic writings that are actually about the future. Actually, the vast majority of the prophets is God using the prophets to warn his people not to fall away, not to break his covenant. He's warning, urging them to repent, to come back to him. As, again, lots to say here. I'm just sharing what I think. Uh, I think what seems to be consistent is that the prophets receive God's word and speak it into a particular situation, like a specific situation. They speak God's word to a people at one time with a particular message for them in that moment. Uh, there's a shift when you come to the New Testament. So prophecy in the New Testament has far less authority than in the Old Testament. Um, the Old Testament prophets spoke the very words of God. But in the New Testament, uh, uh, it needs, we'll look at this next week, it needs to be weighed and tested. It's not always right. Uh, in the book of Revelation, we're told that the spirit of prophecy... Um, now that Christ has brought fulfillment to the plans and purposes of God, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. The testimony of Jesus. So I think New Testament prophecy is something like taking the testimony of Jesus, the gospel, and speaking it to particular people in particular situations. Um, see what the outcome of this is in verse 3. Paul says that the goal of this prophetic speech is that people are strengthened and encouraged and comforted. Now, you, you, you might think that's a bit sort of bland for what prophecy is. I actually think prophecy is far more normal and common than we often give it credit for. Uh, it might be something a service leader or a preacher says that just really connects with you where you're at. You know, sometimes people will say, how do, how do you know what's going on in my life? I say, I don't. <laughs> but you know, it, it, might be, it might be that kind of thing. It might be a comment in home group that just that someone says, and they're not they're maybe thinking about you or maybe not, but it just really cuts home in a good way, maybe a hard way, but a good way. It might be over morning tea, sharing what God is teaching you in his word, and the person you're sharing it with just really needs to hear that at that moment. It might be a text message to someone you know is struggling, uh, just to let them know you're praying for them and that God loves them. So I don't think this kind of speech needs to be a kind of word from on high. Um, sometimes people have um, said to me that, um, uh, sort of said that to me, oh, God's telling me that you need to do this. Um, I haven't really found that way of speaking, in general, particularly encouraging or comforting or strengthening, um, as prophecy is meant to be. Um, occasionally, actually, I have, when someone has said, I just feel that God is, you know, I take it or leave it, but um, this is what I think God is saying, and I'd love you to... Cons you know, occasionally, it is quite encouraging and wonderful, um, but often kind of doesn't actually have that experience of comforting or strengthening. But I have had moments when someone has said just the right thing at just the right time in such a powerful way that it's hard to think God wasn't in it. 
Um, I think of, I can think of numerous ones. Um, I think of sharing some of my struggles with an older pastor a few years ago. I wasn't in a great headspace. And this older pastor just listened to me. He wasn't listening in order to answer, you know, to give the answer, if you know what I mean. Like he was listening in order to really understand where I was coming from. Uh, and his, the, the words he said after listening really well to me have just stuck with me. They were very powerful words. He looked at me in my eyes. I remember that. That's interesting, isn't it? He just looked at me in my eyes. He um, had that sort of selfless concern to look at someone in their eyes. And he simply said, this will make you a better pastor. I, I, I sort of feel a bit teary just um, thinking about it, actually. That, you know, that's not where everyone else is at. And this was at a conference I was at, right? So um, we were in queue for the lunch buffet. And I, <laughs> I kind of found myself breaking down weeping in the middle of all these people. But it was exactly what I needed to hear at exactly the right moments. Now, this, he didn't preface it by saying, thus saith the Lord. I don't think he thought, okay, Duncan's talking to me about a problem, I need to go into prophecy mode now. I don't think he thought that. He just took the truth of the gospel, that God's power is made perfect in weakness. And he gently spoke it into my life in a way that I think was clearly prophetic. Just, just an example, I think, of at least something that is, yeah, of uh, what this prophecy might look like today. We've spent a fair bit of time on that, but I do think it's important. Okay, what we're going to do now is quickly move through the rest of the passage. And I'm very conscious there's lots of stuff in here we won't get to. Uh, you can talk to me or chew it over in home groups later in the week. Um, big, and big, we're going to skim through it because I think what the main point is is actually quite clear. There's a really simple point being made here. So Paul lines these two gifts up against each other, tongues and prophecy. One the Corinthians loved and one that he's commending. And his simple instruction to that church is when you gather together, when you are gathered together like this, in the corporate gathering, the public gathering of God's people, Paul's simple point is, tongues has very limited value. Um, certainly not if it's uninterpreted. But prophecy has great value. Great value. Because remember his underlying principle, that church, that the gathering, is what's it for? Bodybuilding, building others up, not for yourself, not expressing yourself, not building yourself up. It's for building up those who are already in the body and it's for building up those who are outside the body but coming in. That's the, there's kind of two main sections to the rest of this passage. So if you look down um, the first side of the page, verse 2 through to verse 19... Essentially what Paul says is, unless it's interpreted, tongues doesn't benefit others. It doesn't benefit anyone other than the one speaking, whereas prophecy does. Prophecy does. So look down at verse 11 and 12. Uh, Paul says, If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker is a foreigner to me. 
so it is with you. Since you are eager for gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. Or down in verse 18, over the, over the page, he says, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. So he's not sort of condemning tongue speaking at all. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others to build them up than 10,000 words in a tongue. I, I tried to do a bit of maths. I reckon it would take an hour and a quarter, maybe, if you're speaking fairly fast, to speak 10,000 words. Okay, so um, imagine I got up here, I spoke for an hour and a quarter in tongues. Um, maybe for some it would be very impressive. Others would uh, not think so much. Um, some might think I'm very spiritual. But Paul would say, look, just get up and say, hi, how are you today? And sit down. Like, that would be better. Or, no, actually better, follow the way of love. Five words that would be far better, far more edifying in the gathering of God's people. Follow the way of love. That would be far than an hour of um, speaking in tongues in this context. See what he's saying? Okay, what's in there? We're going to move on. Uh, the second part of it, verse 20 to 25, the last bit, the sh Paul shifts his focus uh, to the outsider coming into the gathering, the outsider coming into the church. So tongues doesn't edify others in the body, but Paul says it's disastrous for those who don't yet know Christ. Um, and he uses a quote from Isaiah to make his point. It is tricky. Um, talking to someone in the week who said this is, you know, the hardest, one of the hardest uh, Old Testament quotes in the New Testament <laughs> to figure out. So there is tricky. But um, at risk of sort of wading in where angels fear to tread, I'm going to suggest uh, what's going on here. So Paul says, verse 20, look at verse 20. Brothers and sisters, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, with other tongues and through the lips of foreigners, I will speak to this people. Even though, even, but even then, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So this is a quote from the Old Testament prophet Isaiah. And he's speaking to the people of Israel and he's warning them that unless they repent, they will be overrun by the Assyrians and they'll be surrounded by people who don't speak their language. They'll be surrounded by people whose language is just meaningless babble to them. And when that happens, Isaiah is saying, that will be a sign of God's judgment on them. That'll be a sign that God's judgment has come. And I think that probably that's what's going on in verse 22, when he says tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. I, I don't think he means that in a positive way, I think he means it in a negative way. It's a sign of judgment that they are outside of God's blessing and under God's wrath. And not only that, if an outsider comes in while everyone's speaking in tongues, they'll be driven away. In verse 23, uh, someone, an inquirer, an unbeliever comes in, will they not say that you are out of your mind? But, see the difference now, but if an outsider comes and hears God's word clearly spoken and applied to their life with prophetic insights, 
that the Spirit uses that word, if that happens, maybe they hear a word that clearly proclaims Jesus and exposes their sin and points them to Christ. Or over morning tea, they're in a group discussion, they encounter people who love them and listen to them and who also joyfully share the gospel, who aren't afraid of talking about sin and judgment as well as God's amazing grace, who speak of those realities but sort of apply them to that person. That's the Spirit's powerful work to convict them, to bring them to Christ so that they fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. God is really in this place. If this is happening. So, friends, what is our takeaway here? Um, as I mentioned at the start, I don't think Paul's word to the Corinthians sort of immediately transfers over sort of in a cut-and-paste way to us. We're not in a situation where uncontrolled tongue speaking is sort of going on and some are being puffed up by it and others are being driven away. We're kind of... And, and you see what Paul's doing. He's trying to restrain that, refocus their vision to something that's actually edifying for the church. We're not in that situation. But the principle is exactly the same. The principle is exactly the same. Why do you church? That's the kind of underlying thing driving this. Why do you church? Well, friends, if you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have partaken of his spirit, if you have been united to him so that now you are a part of his body, then church is not about you. It's an opportunity for you to run after love so that you might be a builder in this body. It's an opportunity to seek God's enabling as you do that, to desire his gifting for you to do that. Especially with your words. Especially with your words. So ask God. I think that's what's sort of in view here. Unintelligible words versus intelligible words in prophecy. So friends, ask God to help you speak gospel words by his spirit into someone's life so that they would be strengthened and encouraged and comforted and built up. Ask God to do his miraculous work of turning your eyes away from yourself and onto others, onto being a builder. Imagine if that was each of our goal each week. As we come here, as, you, as, as we sing together, to think I'm not just singing for myself, but I'm, as I sing, I'm encouraging my brothers and sisters around me. Um, as you proclaim truth, in the creeds or as you confess your sins together to do that not just as an individual but as a body to to do that in a way that encourages your brothers and sisters as together we come before the lord and confess our sins and proclaim his truth to seek out opportunities to encourage to love um, maybe to stay around for morning tea, so you, maybe you can ask to be a blessing to someone, just one person. I mean, what a foretaste of the new creation that would be, wouldn't it? A community that every person was thinking that way. 
So maybe you can just pray, please, God, give me one person today that I can build up. Even with just one kind word, one reminder of God's grace, one act of service, because that is the kind of church God is building. And he wants you to build it too. He wants you to share his heart for it too. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for your amazing love for us. In the light of your overflowing love, help us to relentlessly pursue love with one another. Make us eagerly desire your gifts, the gifts of your spirit, especially those that build up one another in the church. Lord, we ask for your help. We ask for your help to do that. Give us words to speak to one another that might take the truth of your word and bring it home in real, gentle, powerful ways so that your body might be built up, Christ might be glorified, and many people might actually come into this place and say, God is really among us. We pray this for your glory in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.